welcome to Between a Rock and a Hard Place. I'm Hannah. And I'm Colleen. And we're here to tell you a little bit about life in a rock. Woohoo! Today we're going to take a bit of a trip through Kurdistan. A tour, if you will. Indeed. We're going to be tourists, or <laughs> tour guides maybe? Tour guides. For all of the different places we've been. And some of the places that are really popular that maybe we haven't been. And some of the places that are really just gone to by Kurds. And some places that are really just gone to by foreigners who visit. Yeah, tourism is kind of a... Not necessarily a new concept in Kurdistan. It's still a little bit of a wild west of a concept, I guess I would say. Well, they definitely have two major groups of people who are coming. There are people from other parts of Iraq or the Middle East Mm -hmm. who come. And then, you know, there's this desire to get more and more of Europeans or other Asians or Americans to come. And we do have to also qualify that for both of us, it's been quite a while since we've been to some of these places. So they may be different now. Things change. Things change. That whole Wild West thing applies. Yeah. Even when you're talking about ruins that yeah. are thousands of years old. It's true. I will say, though, for me, it always surprised me. Two things always surprised me about going significant places in Kurdistan. Mm-hmm. One, if you went somewhere ancient you were allowed to, like, get up close and personal. Mm-hmm. Like, there are no barriers or guards or people standing there being like, please don't touch that. Right. Like, they're, they're a little bit taken for granted, I guess. I mean, there are a lot of them, so... That's true. That there are a lot seems a little bit fair. And the second one is that, in my experience with, like, natural beauty... You know, in the U.S. we have tons of state and national parks. And so when we go see a waterfall, like, you can go up to it and, like, play around in it. But it's just a bunch of people playing around in nature. Where in my experience in Kurdistan, it's like, look at this beautiful waterfall with a restaurant that's built right next to it. Yeah. And, like, all sorts of little boats and... Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, or you could... Flags and paintings on the rocks and... Right, or you could pay to, like, go up to the waterfall and, like, get in it or... Yeah, it was just much more tourist trap-like. Commercialized, Commercialized. Um, In a way that I'm not really used to, like, Americans value wilderness as wilderness on some level. Yeah, at least some. And perhaps that's a more recent history for the U.S. Maybe. Than, than long term. But, uh, yeah. Those are always the two things that I think about when I think of Kurdish tourist places. Is, like, you can get up close and personal, but also sometimes it's very commercial and... Not exactly the pleasant experience that we would hope for right. as an American, but... That's not to say that our Kurdish friends didn't really love some of those places. Yeah, they absolutely did. They absolutely did. So where should we start? We have a long list of different things, some of which we will mention very briefly. Yes. Yeah, we're definitely not going to get into all the details of each of these and places. And if you've been to Iraq and we miss your absolute favorite place, write to us and let us know. Yeah, I think we should also say that some of the places we've been, we don't know the names of. (laughs) 
because yeah. again, Wild West, not everything is named. Yeah, there was this one rock carving that we encountered up in the mountains with zero signage, zero, like, I, I could never find that again, probably ever. Mm -hmm. Because we went on a hike and there it was. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always an adventure. Let's begin with, I guess let's begin with Suli. Suli is where I lived. And so there are a lot of places there that I think you have not been to. Yeah. I have not been to much in the Suli area. Did we never take you to the Amnasurika, the red house? I have been to Suli like three times. Okay. And yeah. you weren't there for one of them. I'm so. sorry. I would have taken you to the Amnasurika. I'm sure. <laughs> Maybe. Mm -hmm. um, it's an old military center for Saddam and like prison. Mm -hmm. And so it's not exactly a pleasant place to go. Um, they have it set up with kind of reenactments and Ugh. like you can see people like in the position of being tortured. Not actual people, but like mannequins. mannequins. It's, it's kind of awful. Well, now I'm not sad that I never went there. But there is this one hallway that the entire walls are covered with mirrors, little tiny broken bits of mirror, mm -hmm. and the ceiling is covered with little tiny like fairy lights, like Christmas lights. Ooh, sparkly. And so it's it's magical walking in there, but the symbolism of it ill is also really heartbreaking because it represents the villages and the number of people who were killed. Mm -hmm by Saddam during Anfal, during mm. his genocide of the Kurds. Yeah. Yikes. So it's sad, but also really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And also, weirdly, a really difficult place to photograph. Yeah, because how do you capture sparkly, sparkly, sparkly? Yeah, because there are no other lights in there besides yeah. those Christmas lights, and they're yeah. all reflecting off these tons and tons of little bits of broken mirror. Connected with that and outside of Suli, not in Suli, but another place that is a place that a lot of people go as a tourist in memory of all of that genocidal tragedy. and tragedy is Halabja. And mm -hmm. there are some really big statues and a large graveyard. And um, it wasn't open because it had been partly burned down before we went on our trip to there. There's a, like a museum that yeah. you can, you can go and see there. Yeah. Um, and Halabja is the city that, uh, had chemical warfare mm -hmm. that really kind of kicked off Kurds getting help from outside in yeah. a lot of ways. Like the and pictures and videos from that. Really, really, really sad. Yeah. And awful. Um, but sparked a lot of international outrage, as mm -hmm. they ought to have. Also in Suli, there's a Suleimani archaeological museum that a lot of people go to. It's free, um, and it's interesting, especially if you could go with someone who can read and translate the signs for you. Oh, because the they're, they're all in Kurdish. Kurdish. <laughs> the first time I went, I was like, well, I can kind of read it, but I have no idea what it says. <laughs> Because that vocabulary is not really in my vocabulary. Right, it would be specialized yeah. on some level. Yeah. Also, outside of Suli, we did a lot of hiking, and there are some really beautiful places. Um, there's a cave called Hazermerd, 
which has this whole story about this woman with a thousand husbands and that's too many husbands <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i heard different versions of it and none of them seem to make a lot of sense to me but you know you does could ask a, a local the, person does she go to the cave to get away from the husbands did the husbands lock her in the cave like no i got the impression that that's where she kept them oh all right fair <laughs> But again, there were multiple versions, sure. and I, yeah, it's a fun thing you could ask someone about. All right. Is it, like, a big it's cave? It's a really big cave. So she could fit a thousand husbands in there. Maybe that's why they said she had a thousand. It's a really big cave. Okay. Also out that direction is a place called Chimirazan, where there's an ancient carving, um, some Zoroastrian and Assyrian-style carvings there. Mm. And it's a hole in the wall really high up in this cliff face. And there's a little staircase that goes up to it now. It's metal. It's been added. And uh, also a lot of interesting stories regarding that one. Some people were like, oh, it's a tomb. And some people were like, oh, it's a bathtub. And some people were like, oh, it's a place where they would hide out and wait for you know, approaching armies to see, you know, from, because you can see pretty far like from a, there. A lookout Like tower. a lookout tower. But yeah, I also don't know what that one really is for. Again, that whole sense of like, these old things are just here and no one's ever really taken the time to know what they were there for. Right. And no one really cares. Yeah. Not a lot of uh, archaeology. It's hard to do a lot of archaeology in a generally unstable region. The other place that we often went, um, are, well, places that tourists go are waterfalls. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll talk about several waterfalls, I think, today. Um, one of the ones that is very popular is the Ahmed Awa waterfalls, and it's got these giant, not stairs, but like stairs. They're like steps. Steps for giants, really, because they're like knee to hip height and it's more of a climb than mm. a walking upstairs. Yeah. Also, yeah, very crowded with people, a lot of trash, a lot of... Tomfoolery. Tomfoolery. And, you know, a restaurant right next to it. And But also, like, a genuinely cool waterfall. Yeah. Uh, Sergalu is another area that's like a tip-tap, you know, picnic spot in the spring. Beautiful water kind of running down a mountainside, not really waterfall, but, you know, little tiny waterfalls along mm -hmm. the way. Also just really full of trash and people. Yeah. Um, we would drive through there every spring as we kind of took a little tour of the scenery when it's beautiful and green and the kids would be out on the side of the roads near the villages selling bunches of Nergis flowers, little daffodils and, um, we would end up driving through Sergaloo, and it was... It's also really fun to say. It is. Sergaloo. It is. Um, as we drive out of Suli towards Erbil, there are a couple other places that are really high traffic tourist areas. Um, Rawandus and Saran are really close. Rawandus is a valley or canyon almost. Mm -hmm. Um... It's really beautiful. Yeah, it's like the Grand Canyon of Kurdistan. Yeah. Um, the top of it now has a 
like a resort and ski slopes and stuff up there, at least in the winter. Is that like Cork Mountain? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, now that, now that you say that though, I may be confusing the The two. The two of them? There's something at the top of the Rowandus area. It may not be, now I'm, you're, you're right. Korak Mountain is where there's the ski Ski slopes. Yeah. Which is also up that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never been there. Yeah, me neither. Not big skiers. Well, and it didn't really take off until, um, after After I left. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I remember someone taking me to Rowandus, but not telling me that they were taking me to Rowandus. And it's a just little kind out of the of way. Like coming around a corner and being like, holy cow! <laughs> like, huge, beautiful ravines with water at the bottom and, like, Greenery not, and... not anything I expected to see. Yeah. So, it was a nice surprise, but it was also a little bit like, you couldn't give me any warning? Like, yeah. Kind of been like, we're going to go see this really cool thing. You were just like, do-do-do-do-do, road we're on trip. road trip. The other big city, not big city, the other city that's on the way to Erbil that we've both been through that's a popular location is Shaklawa. Ah, Shaklawa. What, what do you remember of Shaklawa? So Shaklawa, the first time I ever went on a Kurdish picnic, we went through Shaklawa. That was mm. part of it. Um... And it was definitely hyped to me as, like, this beautiful mountain town, and it's so lovely, and the weather is so nice, and you're just really going to love it. And we ended up just kind of, like, hanging out in the main shopping street. Yeah. And, like, I mean, we wandered up and down the streets and ate nuts from different vendors, and, like, but I was just kind of like, this is not... I don't get it. I don't get why people love this. Yeah. And I I went back to Shaklawa later to stay with some friends. And, like, it is beautiful. Beautiful countryside. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I also grew up in western North Carolina where everything is beautiful all the time. So my standards maybe are a little different. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it getting talked about as, like, this really, like, stunningly beautiful mm-hmm. place. And to me it didn't look that much different from most other small mountain towns. It is the place, though, that lots of people from the south have uh, houses in Shaklawa. Right. Because it's it's cooler. More of a resort town in Mm -hmm. some ways. Yeah, like a vacation getaway kind of place. Which I I get. I mean, it certainly is cooler than Baghdad. Or Erbil, even. Yeah, Erbil, I will say, is pretty stifling in the summer, especially. It It is. So, a little bit of mountains is nice. Yeah, for sure. Hey, this is Steve. My wife and I have been with Servant Group International for quite a while now, which means that we're sort of old, which also means that we need some fresh, new faces here at Servant Group. We'd love for you to join us. Uh, In Erbil, though, there's also lots to do. I think we talked about this when we talked to Victoria about um, Erbil being one of the longest continuously inhabited cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and that specifically is downtown the Citadel, which is kind of at the center of the city. It's up on a tell, so mm-hmm. it's a ancient mound of city built on city built on city for 
generations and generations. Yeah. And that's one of the places where there has been a lot of um, archaeological things. Mm -hmm. Um, My first year living in Erbil, the people renting the house next to us were Italian archaeologists. Italian and French archaeologists who have been working at the Citadel. Oh, cool. Um, Which was kind of neat. They were loud, but... um, (laughs) So there's a lot more, there's a lot more signage up there Mm -hmm. telling you about what all the different things are and how old they are. There's kind of a neat little museum up there too with Mm -hmm. explanations in English and Kurdish. two museums up there now because there's also a textile museum that's up there. Okay. Um, I think the textile one is actually the only one I've been to. Oh, because there's a textile one and then there's like the archaeological one. Yeah. I don't think the archaeological one was open when I was up there. Yeah. So it's really cool, and they're working on restoring it, because um, it's in pretty much disrepair. Yeah. Uh, even in the ten years since I first moved there, they've really done a lot to make it beautiful. And then the Citadel kind of looks out over the main bazaar mm-hmm. there in Erbil, um, which still feels very old school. Um, it still looks very ancient, and they built a big fountain and park on one side of it now, um, which is also very beautiful. And they're kind of trying to build, like, a new sparklier bazaar, but I don't know if that ever went through, because I feel huh. like most of the Kurds are like, no, why would we Why would we do that when we have a perfectly functional, lovely, ancient bazaar right here? Yeah, there's, there is a little bit of that competition between the old and the new that I mm-hmm. think you find in almost every culture. Yeah. Um... Some people want something flashy and new, and other people are like, but the old is good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's probably the biggest touristy thing in Erbil. It's really easy to get to. There's also an old mosque out there. Um, I went to a really cool uh, photography exhibit in the old bathhouse at the top of the Citadel. Huh. It was weird, but... Very cool. Very nice. artsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was pretty cool. And it that's the only time the bathhouse has ever been open for people to go in. That's for this, for art, this exhibit. art exhibit. So yeah. it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, there's also a really big park in Erbil, Sami Abdul Rahma Park. Um, it's several acres. And, I mean, it's a park. Green grass, trees people wandering around there's a train like a the little trains that you can ride like in the zoo yeah that drives around the park and you can pay like i don't know a thousand dinar to ride around the park ride around the park in the train and i mean the park is big enough to justify a train (laughs) um so that's kind of fun too they do a big now rose stuff in the park yeah Um, yeah but there's not really Oh, there's a really big, beautiful mosque there mm-hmm. um, that I never went in, but if you drive past it, you know that it's the big, beautiful mosque. Yeah, I've seen pictures, and I i mean, I've probably driven past it, yeah. but... It's blue, mostly. It's very blue. Um, and then near where I lived, in Erbil, there is an, a really, 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 really old mosque that they recently have been restoring. Hmm. I noticed that the last time I was in Erbil, it was just the tower, uh, the minaret. Minaret. Um, 
but they've rebuilt the mosque next to it. And it's really, it's also really beautiful in a very modern sort of way. Huh. Um, I don't know if it's touristy, but it definitely, like, people within Erbil are like, oh yeah, have you seen that mosque? It's really beautiful. Ah, okay. Um, uh, you mentioned Nowruz as one of the things that is the parties in the park. Mm-hmm. The place that has the biggest parties is Accra, right? Yeah, Accra. Uh, yeah, so that that's a city built into the side of the mountain. So and it's not far from Erbil. It's mm, a couple hours? Maybe, maybe an hour and yeah. a half. Okay. So a lot of the houses are actually like a house front, but the inside is like a cave. Huh. Um, again, I'm pretty sure that's to keep it cool in the yeah. summertime. That is nice. But then every year for Nowros, they do like a fire walk where everyone in the town gets, or a lot of people in the town have torches and they walk up the side of the mountain to the very top and light a big bonfire and fireworks at the top and all around the sides of the mountain. Cause it's pretty much sheer rock in most places. They have long uh, Kurdish flag banners that they drape all along the sides of the mm-hmm. mountain. So it's very spectacular. There are videos. We'll have to link yeah. some yeah. in the show notes. Yeah, I never actually got to be in Agre for Nowrose, but I kind of mm-hmm. always wanted to. Because yeah. it looked... Because they do it at night, so yeah. it's like this line really of fire winding looking. up. It's really I cool. also have never been there in person, but I've seen videos. Yeah. The city itself is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's also the city that was the encampment of Alexander the Great. I think he theoretically founded it. All right. He wasn't there when I was there. Really? No. Oh, that's too bad. Around. That was the one place we never did actually find or get to go to we decided it was maybe a little too close to Mosul but like the battlefield of Gagamela where Alexander the Great defeated the Persian army or had a battle with the Persian army or something Mm. I used to know more about that yeah there are definitely places that was like I really wanted to go there but we never could because it was never safe enough uh not that there's not plenty in the north to see this is true because we're so many we're only halfway through our list From Accra, the next place over that um, I was thinking of is Amadiya. Mm-hmm. Or Amadi. Or Amadi. I think that's a Badini-Sarani difference, but I don't actually know. I actually think it's a Kurdish-Arabic difference, because oh, on the maps and things, it's Amadiya, but there, I always heard it called Amadi. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of students who Amadi was their village, like their really? family village. Yeah, in Dehuk. It is beautiful. It is really cool. It's built on a high plateau. Mm-hmm. And so, but like the city is built all the way to the edges of the city. Or and it's the plateau. And it's kind of a plateau, like in the most classic sense. Like there are no other plateaus around it. There are some mountains. Like you can get up on a mountain and look down at Amadi. But you can't but, get to it from there. Right. It's far enough away. It's surrounded by flat space. Yeah. And uh, it's cool when you're in the city, you can look out at, down at the plains of Dehuk. Um, or between Amadi and Dehuk. It's yeah. really cool. But uh, also a Roman city, right? Right. And it's got an old Roman like road leading up to an old Roman gate that you can go see and 
that a lot of people go see. It's certainly not the road anyone uses to get in now. Um, it's not in good enough repair, and it's also narrow, too narrow for yeah, cars. Narrow and windy. Um, I, th I think there's also some biblical person's tomb up there. This was another really? one of those, like, someone said that to me after I had been there, but they couldn't tell me who it was. Yeah. And so... I I remember kind of seeing like a churchy to me looking building, but like I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it is really it's really popular for Kurds and Westerners to go up there. Mm -hmm. On the trip where we went to Amadi, I went with some American friends who are very explory. Uh, Katrina's husband, Kinley. Yeah. Kinley and Katrina, I should say, took us on this trip. Um, and one of the places we went was Dween Castle. Okay. And there were actually two different places that we stopped, and I'm not sure which one is Dween Castle, if I'm being <laughs> completely honest. Okay. Because um, it's kind of, it's off the main beaten path, and I don't think you could find it unless you knew where you were going, specifically. So one of them was kind of up on a hill, and it's ruins of a castle, but there's still a, a tower standing. Um, and then the other one is as you come down off the mountain... There's kind of this, I guess it would be like a really small tell. Mm -hmm. It's more like a hill. Like you can walk up it super easily. Yeah. Um, but it also has the ruins of a castle on the top of it. Huh. And so I'm not sure which one is which. Yeah. Um, but I think the lower one, the story was that it was kind of like no one lived there as a castle. It was kind of like a lookout fortress so if something was going down, everybody would flee there. Okay. Um, but that there was some princess who was fleeing her father and locked herself into it, and it got knocked down, and that's why it was in ruins. Oh, okay. But it was another one of those places that, like, there are no signs, there are no, like, guardrails, and so we have pictures of us climbing just, like, all over this wow. ruins of a castle. And it was really cool. Again, I couldn't tell you where it was or how we got there, um, but it was it was pretty awesome. That does sound awesome. It reminds me actually of uh, out in that same area, somewhere out on the way to Amity, um, we visited one of Saddam's old palaces mm. that is also a ruins. Of course. Um, not necessarily just from time, but definitely from active destruction. Yeah. And, like, vandalism and, like, a attack <laughs> on this particular space. And, sure. um, yeah, I don't have very many photos of there because the walls were just covered with all sorts of profanity. It, it was it was an interesting place to see. Yeah. Um, you know, the demise of someone that, you know, was... Like, I don't know, part of history that I was alive for. Right, right. Not In ancient contrast history. to the ancient history where, like, no one knows the stories of, like, these things and it's all vague. It's like, here, everybody knows. And... Yeah. And they're still mad about it. And they're it. still mad about it. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about some sacred-y places. Okay. So, Lalish mm -hmm. is the center of... Yazidi faith and area and culture. 
Um, yeah. Uh, we talk about Laelish a lot in the episodes about Yazidi faith. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I have never been there, much to my That's really regret. Sad. It's it's really fascinating and beautiful. One of the distinctives I remember thinking was that they had a lot of trees on their streets. And like even in and around their temple. And obviously it was an area that was well cared for Mm -hmm. um and those distinctive towers with the ridges on them yeah they almost look like a citrus juicer yeah pointy pointy. not Um, rounded they're yeah they're very distinctive and very very beautiful yeah they are they're very beautiful um a lot of history we talk again we talk extensively about Lailesh and that Mm-hmm. Those episodes about Yazidism. But that's a place that, like, local people don't ever really go to. It's only really internationals who have some sort of interest in world religions that end up going there. Sure. Or Yazidis. Or Yazidis. Yeah. yeah. So did you actually go into Laylash? Mm-hmm. Did you go into the temple yep. and all we of got that? a full tour. Did you have to take your shoes off? Uh-huh. It was cold that yeah. day. Um, and... We were able to ask a lot of questions, and the people were incredibly hospitable and, um, you know, guided us through all of the inner areas where there's, like, vats of oil stored and, you know, little cubby holes with fire in them. There's a tomb down there that people throw scarves at over their shoulder to get wishes granted. And Yeah, maybe the next time I go to Iraq, I'll have to go up there. Now that I know more, I really, really want to see it. Um, the other place that I feel like many more people go to eagerly is Al Kosh. Yeah. Uh, which we do reference in the uh, Chaldean Church episodes because yep. it's it's one of the seats of the uh, Chaldean Church. Ancient historical. Ancient. Um, so there's kind of there's kind of three parts to Al Kosh. There's the ancient monastery that's up on the hill. So the Rabban Hormizd Monastery. Mm-hmm. And there's a kind of a family that lives up there and maintains it mm-hmm. at this point. And that's really cool. Yeah. Um, Be careful. Go with the guide. You yes. could get lost forever. Yeah. There are deep, deep caves that go way, way, way back into the mountain. And there's no light. No light. That probably is one of the freakiest experiences I had as we kind of blithely just wandered into one. Oh dear. And got far enough back in there that like I was like, okay. At this point I could find my way back out. If I go any further and we turn off in any direction, I'm not gonna be able to find my way back. And so it was like, guys, I'm not gonna go any farther. And I turned around and came back by myself. And I was like, I'm walking through the dark with a flashlight. And if I get lost, like, this feels really dangerous to do this by myself. (laughs) But I'm confident enough to know that I can get back. And I think think they maybe had a guide at the front. uh, Or the guy who runs the place went in after them. Because he brought them back out like a totally different like (laughs) totally different way yeah um like i've been there multiple times and like 
I still have no idea how to get around in there. Yeah. The the main monastery part is not maze-like. It's no. just if you get back into the caves, into the caves. where they hid. Um, or lived. Or lived. Um, but the main monastery is really beautiful. It gets a lot of lights on top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. It's all whitewashed inside, so it seems even brighter. And there are scriptures carved into the walls in Aramaic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really cool to it's see. It's a beautiful script, too. Mm-hmm. There are seven curves in the road coming up to the monastery and it's because the Chaldeans use it as the seven stops um on the walk of Christ. I don't think for I knew Easter. that. You didn't know that? <laughs> so like it's really common uh and we had some Chaldean people with us when we went for them to walk up the road and mm. stop at each of the seven seven signs of the cross and pray. Yeah. Um, which is dedication because that is a steep, steep hill. hill. Like it, it also needs those seven switchbacks uh-huh. because there's no way you're getting up it otherwise. Yeah. And I think the people who decided to walk, I think it took them a good two hours. And I mean, they were stopping and praying. Right. But it took them a long time. We were all done being up there by the time they got there. And they were like, yeah, we're done too. <laughs> um, so that's the main one. The, and that looks out over kind of the Nineveh plain. It's really beautiful. At the bottom of that hill, there's another monastery. The, the new monastery. The new monastery. Also the same name, though. Yeah. I think it's just the modern mm-hmm. one. Although, I mean, it's also a little old. Yeah. And it has a big chapel. Uh-huh. And that's where, like, monks live and still yeah. do work still. And I, I think there's a boy's orphanage Mm -hmm. there too um also really beautiful we accidentally stumbled into where the monk's private living space was and were told to get out very nicely yeah but still like you cannot be in here and we're like really sorry there are no signs how are we gonna know (laughs) yeah Um, crazy woman running around in the men's monastery yeah but also very hospitable people Um, they had, I think, water and oranges for us when we came down off of the mountain and gave us a place to sit and eat lunch together. And, um, there's also a museum archive there with Mm -hmm. ancient texts, Mm -hmm. which if the right monk is around, you can get in and they'll show you some of them. Oh, really? We had bad timing and the correct guy was not at the monastery at the time. I'm not sure we it even occurred to us to ask, because I think the correct guy probably was there. We met a guy who, and I'm sure I mentioned this when we talked before mm-hmm. about some of this, was the funnest, most interesting monk with his leather jacket and his black sunglasses and his, you know, black jeans. And it doesn't look the way you think in your head. The cool monk. monk. He was definitely the cool monk, and he was working on translating a lot of ancient texts into mm. modern Arabic, actually, and putting them online so yeah. that the youth could have access to the ancient documents. That's probably the guy. It's probably the guy. Man, you missed your chance. I did. I didn't even know there was a chance. Uh, so in, if you go into the town that's next to Alkosh, um, is kind of the third part of Alkosh. I mean... The town is Alkosh. Yes. The monastery is not Alkosh. <laughs> That's true. The town, not the monastery. 
there is an ancient synagogue, which is kind of mind-blowing to me. I was like, I did not even think about there being Jewish people. But there were Jews who lived all over Iraq. Yeah. And the synagogue is ancient, but it's also hasn't been that long since it's been in use. Mm-hmm. Um, the story that we were told was that during World War II, the Jewish families that were living in Alkosh decided to go to Israel once the nation of Israel had been established to kind of flee, I guess, and left the keys with their Muslim neighbors and asked them to take care of the synagogue while they were gone. So you can go into the synagogue now, provided you can find you can the neighbors find the with family, the keys. <laughs> which if a uh, in our case, busload of white people kind of roll up to where the synagogue is. The neighbor comes out and he's like, you want to go in? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> um, so in the, the synagogue is the tomb of... Nahum. Nahum. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. I think there is some debate. I mean, there are some other places that claim to be the tomb, tomb of Nahum. Yeah. Um, so there is only that debate. I don't think there's any debate about... That it is that it's somebody else. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, there, it, it is the tomb of Nahum. Mm-hmm. Um, his bones are not there anymore, though. Right. They have been taken, I mean, years ago, up to a Christian church. And they are in the wall crypt. Reliquary? I can't say that word. Reliquary? That's the one. I don't know. But, like, there's a plaque on the wall and you know says that this is where the bones of Nahum have been interred. That's also the tomb of Nahum is really cool because there's Hebrew Mm -hmm. writings carved all over the the walls walls. and like it's really interesting too because the style of like the architecture and the decor in there really is different. Mm -hmm. So all of the light fixtures what's left of them and the other decorative carvings on the walls have a very different feel than mm-hmm. anything else you run into in Iraq. Yeah, yeah. It is really cool. That's also the only place we ran into a fence. Yeah. They have the area where his tomb is kind of fenced off, so you can't actually, like, approach it directly. You can reach through and touch it, but you can't, like, get up by it or yeah. on it. And I think that's just the neighbor put it up so that people wouldn't bother it. Yeah. Um, there's a second tomb in there. Did you know this? No. So there's a second tomb in the same synagogue, uh, synagogue area. Mm-hmm. It's outside in the okay. yard, kind of in a corner. Okay. And it's either Nahum's wife or Nahum's sister, whose name was Sarah. Oh. Um, cool. So they're both kind of equally cared for, which I thought was really neat. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Servant Group International on Facebook or Instagram, and you should check out our blog and complete transcripts over at servantgroup.org. And it's really helpful for us if you share our podcast or leave a review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. It helps us know that people are listening and you can let us know what you want to hear next. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. Yeah, some things fall out of your brain. They do.